You're listening to a podcast by Lance Lambert Ministries. For more information on this ministry, visit lancelambert.org. Why do we need to abide in Christ? What is the purpose of dwelling in the house of the Lord? What do we do after we are ones who dwell in the house of the Lord? Do we have more prayer meetings and Bible studies? Do we begin evangelistic meetings? In this episode, Lance shares about our purpose in abiding in the house of the Lord, Jesus Christ. Let's listen. Dear Lord, here we are found in thy presence, rejoicing in thee because of all that thou art, Lord. How glad we are that thy well-beloved is king. And how glad we are, Lord, that thou hast brought us into a glorious relationship, an intimate, eternal relationship to him. Now we pray this morning, take thy word and make it live to us, Lord. It is the ministry of thy Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, to lead us into all truth. And we ask, Lord, together that thou wouldst lead us. We know the natural man receiveth not the things of thyself, Father. They're foolishness to us. They just somehow or other cannot be understood. But we praise thee for the Holy Spirit by whom we know the deep things of thyself. Oh, Father, we pray together this morning we may have that spirit of wisdom and revelation given to us all. The eyes of our hearts might be enlightened that we might inwardly know what thou hast done for us, what thou art to us and in us and for us. And Lord, we lift up our hearts to thee for all those who suffer. Matters not where, Lord, we think of our brothers and sisters behind the iron curtain, behind the bamboo curtain. We think of others, Lord, all through the earth. We bear them up before thee, servants of thine in lonely places. Lord, support them, we pray. From this little company of thy children, may, Lord, there be a supply of the Spirit of Jesus to each one. May they be lifted up, Lord, we do pray. And, O our Father, we cry to Thee in these days of so much disorder, so much breakdown, so much, Lord, that is being shaken. May we know increasingly what it is to to be receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. O Father, found us upon the rock, we pray. More and more truly, get the rock into us, Lord, that when the final shattering comes, we may find that we are in him and are safe in him. We ask it together, Lord, now, in humble dependence upon thyself for thy word, both speaker and hearer alike, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I want to turn you back to a verse of scripture which um, I um, spoke upon some weeks ago now. Um, It's in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 14. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 14. Now, if I'm to go on with what I've got in my heart this morning, I won't be able to go over much of what we said then. But may I just say this, that this little passage from verse 13 to 15 underlies a whole number of New Testament scriptures concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and concerning the church. 
And here is the little phrase that I have underlined, want to underline again today, verse 14. And he, the Lord Jesus, the Christ, shall be for a sanctuary. He shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many shall stumble thereon and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. For it's this really that the Apostle Peter had in mind when he wrote in 1 Peter and chapter 2. 1 Peter and chapter 2, from verse 3. If ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, unto whom coming a living stone, rejected indeed of men, but with God elect precious, ye also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Because it is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be put to shame. For you therefore that believe is the preciousness, but for such as disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected the same was made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, for they stumble at the word, being disobedient. Now, this is rather wonderful, because what it is virtually saying is that all that God um, expressed, um, all that God signified through the tabernacle and temple is fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ. He, our Lord Jesus Christ, is the meeting place between God and man. He is the dwelling place of God. There we find the fullness of God. Fullness of grace, fullness of wisdom, fullness of life, fullness of power. Whatever it is, we find all the fullness in the Lord Jesus Christ. For it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. But we don't just stop there. The glorious thing is that we as living stones quarried out of the same rock of divine nature are being built together with Christ into a holy habitation, a temple, a home for God in the Spirit. Now that I find really quite thrilling. And uh, uh, it's what the Apostle Peter got hold of when he says Christ is the living stone, you have come to him. You also as living stones quarried out of the same rock, the same substance, the same material through the work of Jesus Christ are now to be built together into a spiritual house. And then he changes the uh, figure and says that this spiritual house will be a place where not only the house, but where also the priesthood that offer up within it uh, sacrifices unto God. So, of course, we must say again, the church is not a building. The church is not a place with a belfry or a, or a steeple. The church is not a meeting place like this. This is not the house of the Lord. It belongs to the Lord. In that sense, it's the Lord's house. <laughs> but it's not the house of the Lord. We are the house of the Lord. No, no. Let's get it right. Jesus Christ is the house of the Lord. And in Him, we become the house of the Lord. 
Now, when we get it that way round, all kinds of things fall into place. A few years ago, when we first began to meet here, to say such a thing was considered by many believers to be close on heresy. It was Romanism of the most violent and vicious kind. Now I notice that in the, the notes, I'm not going to get into trouble for saying this, but in the notes sent out to the teachers um, in the National Festival of Light, there in the matter to do with the church, we're told to teach all these youngsters coming that the church is nothing less than Jesus Christ in his people. Who would have thought someone would have said that 20 years ago? Praise God for that. That means somehow or other amongst the people of God, light is beginning to dawn in a new way in this last great matter of recovery, the matter to, uh, of the church of God, its nature and its character. Now, what is the nature and character of the house of God? It is nothing less than the nature and character of Jesus Christ. Now, once we get that clear, we begin to understand what the church is. The church isn't an institution. It's not an organization. It's not just a society of folks who've got the same kind of experience or the same kind of opinions. The church is Jesus Christ. And we have been placed in him, joined to him, in one spirit, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. We are as body to head. He is as head to body. One person, as it were. Now this is not, of course, I must say this, lest some visitors here rush away to spread round the country that some terrible um, error is being taught here. Um, this is not to say that the Lord Jesus Christ loses his unique character and nature as the Son of God. But the glory of our gospel is not that we're just saved to sing hymns, to say prayers, to read the Bible, one day to go to heaven and play a harp. That's not, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that by the grace of God, what was his original plan for humanity has been achieved through the finished work of Jesus Christ. What was his original plan for humanity? That man might become partakers of the divine nature, might enter into such a relationship with God, not as units, but in some living organic union, which means that they have become, as it were, flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone. The two shall become one. And we are told that marriage is just a picture of this one from just as woman was taken out of man and brought back to man and the two become one. So we've been taken out of Jesus Christ and are being presented back to him. One day we're going to sit down to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Well, now, that's, uh, that's enough uh, of, uh, of that. But um, we must get on with what we've got or we'll start. Uh, we'll never get to Psalm 27. But just before we get to Psalm 27, look at uh, Isaiah chapter 60. And uh, we've got the same wonderful thing here in Isaiah 60. Of course, we know this is about the Lord Jesus Verse 1, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. Nations shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. And then, in verse 
um, 7. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together unto thee. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister unto thee. They shall come up with acceptance on mine altar. And I will glorify the house of my glory. Now in verse um, uh, 13. The glory of Lebanon shall come unto thee. The fir tree, the pine and the box tree together. To beautify the place of my sanctuary. And I will make the place of my feet glorious. Now if that isn't a prediction of um, the nature and character of the church, what is? I will make the place of my feet glorious. Where is the head? The head is at the right hand of God the Father. Where are the feet this morning? Praise God, here they are. Here or wherever else the people of God truly gather in the name of Jesus Christ. There you find the body. You've never found feet on a head. You find feet on a body. And so wherever the people of God are found truly gathered together in the name of Jesus Christ, wherever you find a measure of being built together, wherever you find a measure of understanding as to the character or nature of the church, then glory starts to touch other lives. People coming in sense the glory of the Lord, touch the glory of the Lord. Now, glory isn't all just excitement. I think it's uh, sometimes thought in uh, some circles that uh, only when there's terrific amount of excitement and so on is there any glory present. Not so at all. There were times when the glory of the Lord so filled the house of the Lord in the old days that no one could go in. They couldn't even lift up. It was a real Mennonite Quaker meeting. They couldn't lift up their, their eyes from the floor. Riveted to the ground they were by just a sense of the glory of the Lord. Thank God there are other times when the glory of the Lord causes us to dance and to sing and to clap our hands and to be joyful. But uh, let's understand that the glory of the Lord is not just excitement. Now I want you to turn back to Psalm 27. At last we've got there. Psalm 27. And I want to read verse 4 to 6. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will keep me secretly in his pavilion, and the covert of his tabernacle will he hide me. He will lift me up upon a rock, and now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. And I will offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing. Yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. What a wonderful psalm this Psalm 27 is. If, I, if we only took those few verses, and that's all we're going to dwell upon this morning, you'd never realize that the psalm's all about war, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid when evildoers come upon me to eat up my flesh? Even mine adversaries and my foes, they stumble and fell, though a host shall encamp against me. My heart shall not fear, though war should rise against me. Even then will I be confident. You wouldn't think it from those few verses. This man knows what all the war is about, that's why. 
He knows what all the antagonism of evildoers about, even when they themselves are not conscious of what, of what the main thrust is. The point of the whole battle is this sanctuary. This being built together in Christ, this being built up into Christ, that is the whole um, objective of the enemy, to destroy it, to destroy it, to stop it, to hinder it, to paralyze it, somehow or other to divide the people of God, to alienate them from one another, and by so doing, paralyze the work of God. Now you note straight away, I'm sure, that the passion of the psalmist's heart is quite clear. One thing. Now I think it's a marvelous matter to be a person of one thing. Jesus said, if thine eye be single, thine whole body is full of light. And he went on to say that you cannot serve God and mammon. Another place he told us to make friends of mammon. Now this is interesting because there are those who would have nothing to do with mammon, which is after all commerce. That's all what mammon is. It's commerce. There are those who would say, wouldn't soil their hands with anything like that, you see. Oh, nothing to do with money, filthy lucre. Don't touch anything like that. And the Lord Jesus said, make friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. Now what on earth did he mean then when he says in one place, is this one of the much talked about contradictions in the Bible? One thing he says, you cannot serve God and mammon. The next minute he says, make friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. No, not at all. The Lord Jesus is talking about priorities. You cannot equally serve God and mammon. You cannot have two masters. You must have a single eye. And the single eye is for top priority. What is the top priority? Here it is, one thing have I asked, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Or someone says, now just wait, doesn't that mean you could get church conscious? Yes, if you look upon the church as a thing. If you just think of it as an institution, an organization, some society of people, some congregation of believers, got an Old Testament conception of the church, it's all special days, special people, special places and everything else, then of course there's a danger. You, you effectively put the church in place of Christ. But if once you see that the church is Jesus Christ, then you understand what the psalmist was getting at. One thing have I asked, one thing have I, have I asked, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And he immediately goes on to the first great objective of dwelling in the house of the Lord. Now I'm going to put it in New Testament terms, abiding in Christ. Abide in me. And I in you. That's the most important first lesson that any believer can learn. Abide in the Lord. Abide in the Remain where God has placed you. You haven't got to try and get in. There are some Christians who sort of feel they've got to try and get in. They spend the whole time fighting to get in. You know, they say, oh, I feel somehow I'm, I'm not there. It's a lie. You are there. Maybe the enemies effectively put a wedge between you and the Lord. That's got to be taken away. But you must always remember that once you're a believer, you only return to where God's placed you. However far you wandered, you return to where God has placed you in Christ. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord 
all the days of my life. What? What to do? To have nice services? No. Oh, well, to listen to good Bible studies? No. Well, it must be something like that, mustn't it? Prayer meetings, of course. No. Well, then, um, ah, oh, of course, of course, how silly of me. Evangelistic services. No. Then what is it? To behold the beauty of the Lord. Now, if more of us were beholding the beauty of the Lord, this world would be a different place. If I was beholding the beauty of the Lord a little more, maybe I'd be different. Can any person see the Lord in his beauty and not be changed? What did it do to Daniel? He fell down as one dead and felt corrupt and evil, a great sickness. That's what it did to him. What happened to Ezekiel? He had exactly the same kind of thing. He had to be sort of put back on his feet by a kind of miraculous touch from the Lord. What happened to John? He fell down as one dead. To behold all this arrogance that there is amongst us who are the people of God. This familiarity with divine things. This thinking we can throw our weight around, handle things that are holy and sacred as if they're secular and profane. The very first thing about this matter of the church is that it is the very dwelling place of God himself. What you can do in other things you cannot do where the church is present. To behold the beauty of the Lord. But just wait, we mustn't just talk about the beauty of the Lord as if it's some fearful, horrifying thing. It's not. When Daniel saw the Lord, he saw the most glorious vision, had a most glorious revelation of the Lord. When Ezekiel saw the Lord, his whole revelation was one of infinite glory. When John saw the Lord, it was a tremendous vision of one who was absolutely supreme and full of love. Fear not. I am the first and the last. I became dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and hell. Fear not. Words of love. Words of compassion. Words of grace. To behold the beauty of the Lord. That is what the church is all about. It's not a technique. It's not a method. It's not a set of principles. The church is the place where we behold the beauty of the Lord. It's Christ. All the many aspects of our Lord Jesus Christ, of his character, of his work, of his person. Can any single believer see them all? No. It needs us all. Now I've seen something of the Lord, I'm thankful to say, by his grace alone. But some others here have seen something I haven't seen. If you just take what I've seen, you've only got a, a, a certain amount. But we, when we put it all together, we've got a fullness. The simplest believer here has seen something of the Lord's glory and beauty, surely. And somehow the way the Lord comes to you, the way he deals with you, the way he lifts you up, the way he speaks to you, 
the way he gently leads you on. You had your own original experience. You've beheld the beauty of the Lord in an original way. The beauty of the Lord, to behold the beauty of the Lord. Now, I believe that that really leads to worship. Now, there is an idea that worship is just thanking the Lord. That's not worship. If we want to be absolutely theologically correct, thanking the Lord is not just worship. Thanksgiving, praise, worship is somehow or other perhaps the most comprehensive word, but it's more than that. It's also the most profound. Sometimes you can worship the Lord without a single word. So great. Oh, how I love that, the, the times where it says in the uh, uh, Old Testament, and they bowed down their heads to the ground and worshipped. Not a word. There was such a sense of the beauty of the Lord and the glory of the Lord that they bowed down. And in that one act, there was more worship than a million words. It was expressed in a complete obeisance, a complete surrender. I think to behold the beauty of the Lord is to lead us first to a knowledge of ourselves as one dead, as one corrupt, as one empty, as one futile, and then to the glory and beauty of our Lord Jesus. Out of that comes worship. Has anyone ever worshipped the Lord who thinks a lot of himself? Poof, hot wind. If you think a lot of yourself and your own ability and your own resources, do you ever really worship the Lord? No. Real worship starts when a person is so broken up, God has to put them together. And that's why you find they fall down as one dead. They didn't get up again. God had to say to an angel, go and get him up. Or the Lord himself came and touched him and set him on his feet. He was in pieces. Lost his own self-sufficiency, his own resources. God put him back on his feet. And then worship began. But we must go on if we're going to go through anything at all this morning. The second thing is to inquire in his temple. To, to inquire in his, in his temple. I think some of the modern versions put meditate in his temple, or reflect in his temple. And here is another whole realm. It's not only to behold the beauty of the Lord, to come to worship. But the church, mean, is a place of inquiry. Well, we could put it this way. We, it is a place of direction and understanding. I have learned more, although some here may find it hard to believe, through my brothers and sisters, than many great preachers. Sometimes negatively. Sometimes positively. Sometimes I've seen someone make a mistake and I've thought, the Lord showed me something. I've watched that person make the mistake. I've watched the Lord lift them up. I've watched the Lord take them on. And I've learned something. Sometimes others have learned through me. Watching me make a mistake. <laughs> and the Lord lifting me up and taking me on. You learn. We learn to our brothers and sisters. One of the things that's amazed me is that when times we've sought the law for direction about some matter, some simple saint that you wouldn't look twice at in the street, 
Uh, now forgive me everyone, I don't want to cause a riot, um, <laughs> has come up um, afterwards and said um, very nervously, um, um, God, I think the Lord may have given me a, a word. Really? Well, and they've read it out. And it's come like a shaft from heaven. In our early days here, again and again, that that's how we learned the value of the body of Christ. We found that God was no respecter of persons. Sometimes he took the simplest person and through them came a word of wisdom. And the whole thing was understood. A situation over, we thought, here are we, we've spent hours talking, fellowshipping, praying, and this dear person's come, and they themselves don't understand it. Now that's the priceless part of it. They themselves don't understand what the word's all about, really, except the Lord's given it to them. Now, that's the body, you see. We know what it's about. They don't. Why didn't God give it to us? We would have understood straight away. I don't know. I don't know, the Lord. You see, it's the body that it might be tempered together. All parts of it, some inside, some outside. It's all interrelated in such a way that it's dependent one upon the other in a right way. To inquire in his term. Don't we need direction? The church is not a dictatorship. But it is a place of direction. It's where the Lord directs us. And where that direction we receive from the Lord. We test out in our brothers and sisters. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. It says arbitrate in your hearts. Arbitrate in your hearts. And be. Uh, uh, and uh, I better read that. Um, be, it's something about uh, yes it's about the one body isn't it uh, to which also you were called in one body I always thought apostle, the apostle Paul had a phrase had slipped out you know he was such a quick person and a phrase had slipped out but I don't think so what he was, what he was saying was this, let the peace of God arbitrate in your heart you'll know which way to go by the peace of God but remember test it out with your brothers and sisters oh be careful everyone especially if you've had a real experience of the spirit of God be careful of doing things on your own bat God's told you to go to Timbuktu Poof, you're off and then the British consul has to fly you back <laughs> it happens again and again Oh, the silly things people do they don't share some people are frightened to share because they think that the saints will sit on them Thank God if they do sit on us to save us from, from uh, doing the wrong thing. If we really want to know the will of God, we won't mind uh, uh, the saints saying this or that. To inquire in his temple, oh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we may come into him, as it were, and inquire. Inquire. And then, very simply, in verse 5, For in the day of trouble he will keep me secretly in his pavilion, and the covert of his tabernacle he will hide me. Covering! Covering! Oh, it's a wonderful thing to know the fellowship of the church. It's the fellowship of Christ, you know. Not always does the Lord directly cover us. He covers us by one another. What a wonderful thing it is when people spot that you're in danger. Or people spot that there's, and they don't say anything, but they pray. And there's a covering. Sometimes when we're older in the Lord, we see a young believer making a very real mistake. Now, we can go to that person and hammer them. They can't understand what on earth we're on about. 
they can't understand what the mistake is. And anyway, they haven't got that amount of knowledge to understand why they're making that mistake, why it is a mistake. We can only plead Christ as the trespass offering. Sure enough, you'll see that one come through because someone has covered that one. Do you understand? Well, if you don't, leave it. And uh, it'll come uh, in the end. But there's covering, you see. In the day of trouble, he will keep me secretly in his pavilion. In the covert of his tabernacle. The covert is the hiding place, the secret place, the covered place, right the inner recess. He will hide me. Can anyone be covered who's out of sorts with his brothers and sisters? Danger. Can you be hidden in the covert of his tabernacle when you've fallen out with another believer? No. I just pass it on. And then in verse, uh, last part of verse 5 and verse, first part of verse 6, He will lift me up upon a rock, and now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Victory. It says it's a bad thing if a person's alone. Two are better than one, it says in Ecclesiastes. For if one falls, the other will pick him up. A threefold cord is not easily broken. You and me and the Lord Jesus Christ. A threefold cord is not easily broken. That's a wonderful thing about victory, isn't it? You can always depend upon it that there will be times when a number of us are down. But thank God, a number of, our, of us are up. And those who are up, Help those who are down. We ought to. <laughs> Woe betide us when we're all down at the same time. <laughs> and thank God for when we're all on top at the same time. But uh, the fact of the matter is that there is, in the fellowship of Jesus Christ, there is victory. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now again, may I just say something I hope that balances not a wrong teaching at all but sometimes an excess an extreme there are those who tell us that we shouldn't know anything about nakedness or peril or sword or hunger for they point out to us that in the word of God the, the Lord has promised to provide promised to deliver promised to preserve and all this is perfectly right but the wonderful thing is we have a paradox here. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him, or absolutely literally, in him who loved us. In these things. The Apostle Paul got the secret when he said, I know how to be a base and I know how to abound. I know how to be in want, and I know how to have fullness. Now, believe it or believe it not, it's sometimes harder to abound than to have nothing. For when you have nothing, you've got to trust the Lord. But when you've got a lot, oh, you can trust yourself. I could illustrate that, but uh, the time's gone uh, from my own experience. But uh, the fact of the matter is, there is victory. 
Now he will lift me up upon a rock. Now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. And lastly, and I will offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praise unto the Lord. Here then is contribution. Praise, thanksgiving, contribution. I will offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. Now this word joy in Hebrew is just shouting, so it's the same word as trumpet. I, I, will, I will offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of trumpet sound. Shouts! Well, it does your heart good when someone really does praise the Lord. I don't mean just, just noise. But when it's obviously coming from their heart, you open your eyes and look and think, my, it does my heart good to see that he's really got through. Or she's got through. Praise and contribution. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Not just to one another, unto the Lord. Well, he shall be for a sanctuary. I think it's a most wonderful thing to be in Christ. And to know that that bride, which is this sanctuary, or the city of God, Again, another way of putting it, or the temple of the Lord, or however you like to put it, the body of Christ. The wonderful thing about it all is this union with him, so that we are in him and he is in us. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, the work of the Holy Spirit to bring us right in, in, in experience, in practice. The work of the Holy Spirit to keep us and preserve us together because it's one thing to look at everyone and say, aren't they lovely people? It's another thing to have to really live with them all and uh, get down to it and work together as a team and take the knocks and the rubs and all the other things. And then someone comes in looking like thunder and uh, you feel on top. Oh, you think... <laughs> Or something like that. I mean, the point is that it's easy to talk about these things, easy to speak of the theories. It's not so easy when it comes to the practice. We need to know the Lord as the preserver as well, the keeper um, of the sanctuary. The one who, as it were, becomes a wall of fire around about us. So we thank God then together. Now, dear Lord, we do need divine enlightenment to really understand what we've said this morning. But we pray that thou wilt be mightily at work in and through thy word, Lord, to open our eyes to see just the nature and character of the church, to see the Lord Jesus for a sanctuary, as the temple, as the tabernacle, and may we, beloved Lord, yield ourselves to the, to the work, to the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit in this building operation, this building program of building us together in him. May, Lord, it come to pass that in every part of this nation and Europe there may be those companies of thy children, that building work going on amongst thine own. Father, we ask it together in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
May you learn to behold the beauty of the Lord. May you know the deep, deep love of Jesus.